0: You're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern, helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, your host of the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today for episode number eight. You can find show notes and links to resources mentioned in this episode by visiting allindierwriters.com slash podcast slash eight. In today's episode, we'll talk about getting started as a freelance blogger. Then I'll answer a question about ebook content protection. I'll tell you a little bit about my first bonus freebie for subscribers to the email newsletter. And then I'll introduce you to my next guest co-host for episode number nine. Let's get to it. Let's say you're thinking about getting into freelance blogging. There are a few things that you should probably consider upfront. For example, do you only want to write byline blog posts, or are you open to ghost blogging? Do you prefer to blog for niche sites and publications, or would you prefer to blog for businesses, where you manage a company blog? Also, what niches can you blog about competently? Should you specialize? And one common question I get is, won't specializing limit you too much? So let's start there. I'm a big advocate of specialization as a freelance writer of any kind. That can mean specializing in a particular niche, specializing in working with clients in a particular industry, and it can even mean specializing in certain project types. Now, with a project type like freelance blogging, That in itself is a very general project type. So my suggestion would be to go further than that when you choose a specialty. For example, like I said, you could be a ghost blogger for business clients. You could narrow that even further. Be a ghost blogger for corporate clients or for small businesses or for online entrepreneurs. You could also choose to blog for certain types of publications. For example, maybe you would only blog for blogs or networks tied to print publications. Or you might choose to work for other solo bloggers who are simply looking to expand their contributor base. But no matter what kind of specialty you choose, I strongly recommend that you do choose one. As for the question that I often get of, won't a specialty limit me too much? No, not really. <laughs> no. Um, the concern is it's understandable. The way it's often phrased to me is, if I specialize in a particular niche, then by that very nature, i I can't work with clients outside that niche. Well, first of all, you can always have more than one specialty. I recommend if you do that, that you try to keep your specialty areas similar so that your marketing efforts are working for you at all times for both specialties. You know, for example... If you're ghost blogging for corporate clients, but then you're also niche blogging about infant products, those are very different markets for the most part. And you basically have to market your services to two completely different groups. And that takes a lot of extra time. Now, if you were to take those corporate clients and maybe only target corporate clients that work with that particular industry, they make baby products, for example, then you would have a much easier time because everything that you're publishing, the network you're building, all of the marketing you're doing can help you get gigs not only for corporate clients who are making products in that industry but then also for the related informational blogs or the publication blogs, we'll call them, in that niche. So no, it doesn't limit you from ever writing in other specialty areas. But with that said, there's another side to this. People pay more for specialized knowledge then they pay for general writing ability. That is the same with general blogging ability. If you bring expertise in the subject matter, you can talk about topics on a blog in a way that someone completely new to that topic cannot. You're not just regurgitating research from some other blog or some other website or some other resource. You don't have to rely on third parties for all of your information. You're going to have insight and experience that is valuable to clients. So Yeah, specialists get paid more. So when you think in terms of how much you can earn for the gigs, you don't need as many clients. Now, first of all, no one needs to be able to target every blog out there and say, I'm a generic freelance blogger. I'll blog for anyone, about anything, anywhere, anytime. You don't need that broad of a market. So when you limit yourself to blogs in a particular industry or niche, you're not necessarily going to hurt your potential to make money. Remember, you have limited hours in a day. How many clients do you realistically need to fill your billable hours? As long as your specialty area can provide that many clients, it isn't going to limit you in any way. If anything, your income will generally increase. You know, you need to be smart about choosing your specialties. You have to understand your target market and know how big it is and what kind of a reach you're going to be able to have. But no, it's not gonna hold you back. Now, another issue that you're gonna wanna consider if you're thinking about getting into freelance blogging is your portfolio and how you're gonna build those first few portfolio pieces when you don't have any paid blogging gigs under your belt yet. I have three ideas for you that can help you get started with that. The first is to launch your own blog. As a freelance blogger, you really should have one. It shows potential clients that you understand blog management beyond just content writing. You show them that you understand SEO, managing a reader community, and how your content has to work within a design, These things are all important to bloggers and to businesses that are going to hire you to manage their blogs. And I I very strongly recommend that you do get a solid grasp on SEO early on. The better your own blog ranks within its specialty area, the easier it is to build trust with bloggers who are concerned about rankings. And let's face it, Most bloggers are concerned about their rankings. Now, another option that you have is to focus on guest posts. So, you might write a guest post for a site in your target niche or industry. You know, you want it to be within your specialty area. Now, here's one more option that you have for building early portfolio pieces, and that is to write for third party non client sites that aren't guest posts exactly. But, you know, for example, LinkedIn's publishing platform. You might go into LinkedIn and publish a few top-notch blog posts there where you can reach a broader audience than your own blog provides, especially early on. If you're looking to get clients from LinkedIn, then that platform in particular is a good option for you because it is so business-oriented. It's about connecting with potential clients and building your network. It's important to remember that sometimes unpaid opportunities are better than gigs with crappy pay. A $10 proposed gig isn't likely to lead you to anything better than other $10 proposed gigs. But a guest post on an authority blog in your niche can have real value in attracting clients. The key there is spending your scheduled marketing time on building those bylines and portfolio pieces and not trading your otherwise billable hours for them. You want those hours available so when your marketing activities pay off and clients come to you, you're ready to roll. Now I want to touch on a few ways that you can get some of your earlier freelance blogging clients. First, your best option, you know, as much as I'm not a big query person, that's not how I market my business, if you're new to this, you don't have that existing network, you don't have a platform yet. And while you can build those to an effective level fairly quickly, it's not an immediate process. So I strongly suggest when you're first starting out with freelance blogging that you go ahead and directly pitch potential clients. Figure out what websites you would like to write for, figure out what kinds of businesses you would like to blog for, and contact them. Try to sell them on your services. A lot of the time, blogging clients don't even realize that they need a freelance blogger yet. Blogging is still new to so many people and to so many businesses out there and organizations that they're still trying to figure out, A, if they want to set up a blog, if they can handle it, and B, how they're going to manage it on their own. The thought of hiring someone hasn't even crossed their minds yet. And it probably won't unless somebody like you contacts them. Talk to them about the benefits. Pitch them on your ability to help them get set up if they don't have a blog yet. There's a huge market, especially with small businesses, which is a group I work in, where they need somebody who can come in from the ground floor and help them build their blog come up with a content strategy and start writing content. And if that's something that interests you, then pitching is the way to go because many of them don't realize they need you yet. Another way that you'll be able to find clients early on is to, again, focus on your own blog. Start building links to it, comment on other blogs and link back to it. Just start building traffic like you would for any other blog that you were going to launch or run. Go out there and try to connect to your potential clients. If they do already have a blog, spend some time commenting and make sure that it links back to your site if that blog allows a link. That doesn't mean go and comment on their blog and pitch your services that way, that's completely inappropriate, but add value to the conversation. Give them a reason to notice you and give them a reason to want to learn more about you so that they click that link and visit your site and see what kinds of blogging services you're offering and that you might be a good fit for them. Get a feel for who their existing bloggers are or what kind of management personnel might be managing the blog. And then if you build a relationship that way first, or on social networks, that also works, then you have a warm lead to pitch, which is a little better than pitching someone out of the blue when you've had no interaction with them whatsoever. So there's your quick introduction to getting started as a freelance blogger. And now I want to move on to a question. This is another question from a forum where I asked writers to submit questions for the podcast. And this is actually a follow-up question from one that I answered in episode 6, I believe, from a user going by the handle jrbiz. All right, his question is, I have another potential question for you regarding the publishing of eBooks. How are the books protected from theft by copying these days? When ebooks first started, they were mostly just PDF files, and the limited anti copying security was easy to get around. Has the technology for protecting the ebook's content gotten better? Many authors really don't worry about this, or they'll go after the thieves after they find the content stolen. And that was something that I covered in depth in a guest post that I wrote for Catherine Aragon's blog which I will link to in the show notes, which you can find at allindywriters.com slash podcast slash eight. And in that post, I explain how I go after content thieves after I found that somebody's stolen something. My basic philosophy is to hit them where it hurts. What I do first is I give them 48 hours notice to get it removed. If they haven't done it, then the gloves come off. I go to the search engines for any stolen index content and I report them with a DMCA notice, which is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and basically have the search engines de-index the pages with stolen content. That's especially important if you're still using PDF eBooks, which I still use heavily, because Google indexes the PDF files. So you want that de-indexed right away. But de-indexing their content hurts them in the sense that they're gonna lose traffic from Google. Now, the more important thing that I like to do is I find out how they're monetizing the website wherever they're hosting the stolen material. And it's almost always an ad network. And what I do is I contact the ad network that they're using and I report them for a terms of service violation because it is almost always against the terms of service for them to host the ads that this company's advertisers are paying for alongside copyright infringing material. So in the past, I've had a lot of luck getting their ad accounts completely suspended. Now, the bonus there is not only that you're impacting their income on that website, and site-wide, it's not just the page where they're hosting your particular stolen material, but in many cases, ad networks let a website owner use the same account to host ads on multiple websites. So if the person who steals and then uploads your ebook or blog post or whatever it is happens to have multiple websites, then you can actually knock out their income source over several sites that they own. So, you know, that's hitting them where it hurts. You're hitting them in the traffic and you're hitting them in their income sources. So, and again, that's after I give them 48 hours to comply and remove the content. Only then do I go to a host and that is where I send another DMCA notice where I demand that the content be removed. It's been fairly easy. Sometimes you'll have somebody use a host overseas where the DMCA doesn't apply. Um, but you know, don't let that stop you. you. know, You don't have to send a DMCA notice in that case. Instead, look at their terms of use. And again, in almost every situation I've come across, it's against the host's terms to host copyright infringing material. So even if they don't have to abide by a DMCA removal request, they will usually remove the content or suspend the account based on the terms of service violation. Now, all of that applies mostly to PDF eBooks, but you know there are obviously other options these days. And in that case, You're often relying on your distribution source to handle your file protection. It's all about how it's distributed to your buyers. For example, you don't want to use a distribution service that has one link to your file that they distribute to every buyer. Then you're in a situation where any buyer can start spreading that link around so others can download for free. I'm not a big fan of DRM protections. You know, if somebody buys an ebook, my philosophy is they should be able to read it on whatever device they want. Legitimate customers shouldn't have to jump through hoops. But there still are ways to protect yourself. But, you know, once somebody has a file, it's very difficult to stop them from distributing it without going into the DRM issues. But that doesn't mean you don't have any options. For example, you know, let me go back to PDF specifically. When I sell a PDF ebook or any kind of PDF file, I like to use eJunkie, and for those who don't know, that's e-junkie.com. They their site might have an old school look, but they actually have the best feature set I've come across. I've been using them for years and have absolutely no complaints about them. One of the things I love about eJunkie is that you have a lot of control over how your files are distributed. So for example, when an email goes out to a buyer with the download link for my ebook, they will generally have nine download attempts for that particular link. Now, and you can actually limit that if you want to just give them the one download attempt, you can do that. I prefer not to do that. I used to limit to about three and I still had people who would occasionally lose their file and have to re-download and they would run out of downloads. Now, you can always resend them a fresh download link or reactivate their download link. But again, it's it's a bit of a pain to make customers do that. So I go with nine. And so far, I haven't had any requests to reactivate since I increased it to that. What the download limits do is that it prevents the links from being posted to a website where then dozens or hundreds or thousands of people suddenly have free access to your ebook. You know, and each buyer is getting their own download link. Now, what about somebody who already downloaded your PDF file? Can't they just upload it to the web? Well, eJunkie has a solution to that, too. Now, I don't believe this works if you compress your file or, you know, compress several together. Um, But if you're just doing the one PDF file, I believe you can watermark it. And there are some other distribution services that can do this too. So basically what happens is when somebody downloads the PDF file, there's a watermark with the buyer's name on it. If that buyer were to take the PDF file that they bought and upload it somewhere to the web, it's going to be marked with their name. So you're going to know who did it. And that alone is probably enough to discourage casual pirates. There are always going to be people who want to pirate books. And nothing you do is going to stop them. They're always going to find a way to do that. And in those cases, you know, that's where you need to keep an eye on things. Set up Google Alerts for your book title and your name. You know, just monitor the situation. Run occasional searches see what you find, and then go after the people who are infringing on your rights after the fact. It's, it doesn't have to take as long as some writers think it does. I like to set up basic form letters for my DMCA requests, for example. All I then have to do is plug in the infringing individual or site's name, and then I just update the links of, you know, here's what they stole and here's where they've uploaded it. And for the most part it's worked out really well. You know, but again, if you don't want to have to worry about the ebook file protection, copyright protection, go with a distribution service or source. Whether that's selling on Amazon or selling with an independent service like eJunkie for your PDF files, go with someone who has security features built in that meet your needs so you don't have to worry about it. And I hope that helps. Now I want to move on and tell you a little bit about a new freebie which is only available to subscribers of the All Indie Writers email newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter on the homepage at allindiewriters.com. After you confirm your subscription, you'll get 21 blog post ideas to promote your fiction. It's a short report targeted specifically to fiction authors whether you're a novelist or you write novellas or short stories if you run an author blog and you write fiction it isn't always clear what you should write about if you're publishing non-fiction it's much easier you publish content related to your niche it's all about building up your authority status with fiction it's a little bit different so i wanted to put together a specialized resource which features 21 blog post ideas and they're specifically for fiction authors This is just the first in a line of freebies for email subscribers only, so make sure you sign up. And again, you can sign up for that at allindierwriters.com. And I have one last bit of business for you today, and that is to introduce my next guest co-host for the All Indie Writers podcast. That will be Kathy Miller, and she will be joining me in one week because we skipped the podcast last week. We now have two in a row. Kathy is another of my go-to gals, just like Lori Widmer was, my last co-host. She is a great resource on business issues, and specifically LinkedIn. And she runs simplystatedbusiness.com. So if you're interested in business writing or business communication in general, um, I strongly suggest it. She has excellent content there. And again, that is simplystatedbusiness.com. Kathy and I will be talking about ghostwriting, we will we've actually already recorded our call. We talked a little bit about ghost blogging and also ghost writing for business clients for trade publications. So I hope that you'll check back in for episode number nine next week. And that is all I have for you today. Remember you can submit your own writing-related questions to be answered in a future episode through the contact form at allindywriters.com slash podcast by emailing me at Jen, that's J-E-N-N, at com, or by leaving me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at com slash podcast slash eight. You can also access this podcast and related audio productions, including a series of new audio blog posts, by visiting Freelancetheater.com. You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern, a Freelance Theater production. Freelance Theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.